following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Um, as we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and we looked at the first four last Sunday, um, we've been talking about really what, what these commandments are and what, what do we use them? How do we engage? How do we, especially as Christians, use the Ten Commandments? And uh, oftentimes uh, it's understood that this is a, a moral code that basically applies to all people everywhere. Uh, and maybe that's kind of how you think about these good moral instructions that should be relevant and true for anybody, anywhere. Uh, and essentially, used that way, it means the Ten Commandments are a way to determine if I'm a good person or not. Right? So, uh, if that's true, if that's their purpose and function, then this is a terrible moral code. Right? And I'm going to show you why here in a second. I'm going to show you why. Uh, when you look at what What's actually commanded here, when you have a clear understanding of the commandments, this is some of the problems we run into. Uh, the first one, respect your parents. Right? So in other words, I can measure whether or not I'm a good person by how well I honor my parents. Well, what's wrong with that? Shouldn't we do that? Well, the word here that's used for honor literally means weighty. Uh, there's many places where this word is translated glory, and especially relating to God, God's glory. And the idea is that there's something of weight or substance to it. It's significant. It's weighty. Right? Uh, it's something to be exemplified and held up as an example for others to look at and follow. Right? So it sounds good. We should, we should honor our parents. They should be significant to us and substantial and exemplary. Problem, though, is what if your mom is an alcoholic who beats you up all the time and your dad sexually abused you? Uh, would it be moral or ethically correct to lift that up as an example? Well, probably not, right? No, that would not be ethical or moral to hold that up as an example. Uh, and some would counter, well, the command you know, implies that parents are good examples. Um, but if that's true then why doesn't the command say, lift up and honor all those who are a moral example of something good and excellent? Why only parents? Right? That's kind of a problem. Moving on, uh, do not commit adultery. Also, seems good. It's a, it seems very moral, right? Uh, certainly, we wouldn't want to promote anything different. Um, what is meant by adultery? Well, adultery is, by definition of this word, and in this context, what it, what it means is, a married person who's having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. Okay, so having, so it's, but it's, the focus is, is on a, a, a married person, not sexual immorality in general. Uh, so it, it doesn't say you can't have immoral sexual relationships if you're not married. It's only if you're married, right? Uh, even more troubling or more startling with this command is it doesn't actually say you can't have more than one wife. Right? And in fact, throughout the Old Testament, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that it says it's wrong to have multiple wives. Um, so um, that, that should be kind of a problem. If this is supposed to be an exemplary moral code, right? uh, do not bear false witness. Uh, often often this, is, this is taught that uh, the general moral principle don't lie. But actually, that's not what it says. Okay? It does not say don't lie. It says, do not bear false witness. In other words, if you're in a court setting, in some kind of a trial or legal setting, do not give false testimony against a person who's on trial that would either 
vindicate them, get them off the hook if they're guilty, or uh, condemn somebody who's innocent. It doesn't say anything about lying in general. Um, So if we were to apply this and test, put myself to the test, am I a good person based on this moral code, then I could say, yes, I'm a good person if if I uphold my parents as good examples, no matter how terrible they are. If I only indulge in sexual activity with people who aren't married, I'm free to do that. Um, uh, And if I do decide to get married, I can have multiple wives all at once. Of course, that's culturally not very acceptable in our day. Or just have multiple wives one at a time through divorce and remarriage. And I'm a good person, according to the Ten Commandments. Um, I can lie as long as I as long as I don't lie in court. I lie all I want, as long as it's not in court, and I can call myself a good person. Um, and, you know, as long as I don't murder from anyone or steal from them, right? Um, I'm a good person. And and really, it's no wonder that a lot of people in the world would say, "Yeah, I'm a good person. I don't kill anybody. I'm not stealing from anybody." I'm not having sex with somebody's wife, you know, maybe somebody else, but not their wife. Um, I'm a good person. Uh, well, if we use the Ten Commandments in that way, that, that's what you get, right? A really lousy moral code. Um, and, you know, many Christians, actually even some commentators, are aware of this inadequacy. And so they make up for it by trying to show how, well, the Ten Commandments doesn't say don't lie and, you know, you can't have sex... You know, which is anybody, but what other parts of the Bible do, uh, which, okay, that's good. That makes the whole Bible a good moral code, but it doesn't explain why these Ten Commandments, right? It doesn't answer the question of why, um, you know, why it doesn't just say, do not practice any kind of sexual immorality, like Paul does in the New Testament. Why it doesn't say, don't ever lie. Right? Why, why couldn't they just? Why couldn't it have said that if that was its purpose? Well, the problem is that we have really failed to understand and apply correctly the Ten Commandments. It is not a general moral code to be applied to people anywhere at, at any time. That is not its function or purpose. So, what is its function? What is the design and purpose of the Ten Commandments? Well, here it is. Uh, the Ten Commandments are principles explaining how God's, peop- God's people are to live together in covenant community so that the watching world can see what Yahweh is like. As we talked about last week, this is all about uh, God's chosen people whom he has rescued and saved and brought to himself where he is entering into covenant relationship with him. And they are a group of people together who form a community based on that covenant. And the laws and commands are given specifically to this group of people so that they can live together in this covenant community in a way that the watching world can see the character of Yahweh, the character and nature of God, by how they do life together as a very unique and specific called out chosen group of people. Um, the first four commands focus on who makes up this community of faith. Uh, and we'll see that in a minute. The, the remaining six commands are viewed, uh, should be viewed as foundational principles or core values of their life together as God's people. And we'll see as we unpack this, you'll see how it relates to specific values in a community, not just general moral principles. They are like... Um, uh, foundation stones upon which their their community life together should be built. Um, thinking kind of in modern terms, it, it's what describes their organizational culture. And this is language that is used a lot in the business world. And, and organizational culture means the characteristics and traits that make up the culture or nature of an organization or business. You know, how do you want people to to relate to you? What do, what do you want them to feel is your culture when they engage with your business. So I'll give you an example. I think this is funny. Hopefully you think it's funny. Um, you know, the businesses have slogans to capture their corporate culture. So here's one. Fly the friendly skies of, anybody know? 
United, right? Fly the friendly skies of United, meaning they're wanting to portray corporate culture that says we are friendly, right? In light of recent news, some people have suggested maybe they should change their, their slogan. Uh, we put the hospital in hospitality. <laughs> or our service will knock you out. Uh, another one suggested, we'll drag you all over the world. <laughs> and there's more, actually, there's more. All right. uh, obviously, um, you know, God's organization, his covenant community, wants to reflect um, a character, a nature, qualities, characteristics that display and represent who God is. And what's significant is that the Ten Commandments are not things that God made up separate from himself, They're very much who he is as a person. This is God's corporate culture, if you will. These are the characteristics and nature and the kind of person God is. It captures who he is. And he wants his his community people to live out these qualities so that everybody in the world around them comes to get a, a glimpse of something of who God is as they look at how Israel lives their life. Um. And it's, it's important for us to understand that, that this, this is about any group and covenant community relationship, which means that we as the church are likewise a covenant community. We'll see in a minute why. Right? And so these very much apply to us. So let's look, first of all, real quickly at what, what exactly is a community? What do we mean by covenant community? What is a community? Well, a community is essentially... A group of people that have something in common. And that's the word, if you look at the word common, the word community, they're very close related words. And really it just literally means a group of people who have something in common, who share something in common. So uh, you may live in a community. You may not know a single person in the community. You may not be friends with any of them. But you share something together. You share the streets and the water system and the trash pickup and the little gate guards, right? You share those things together. And that, that's the essence of your community. Not much community, but that's the essence of what makes it a community. Um, oftentimes, people form community around more significant things uh, that bring them together in meaningful ways. When, when I was pastoring this little church in rural Colorado, um, it, it really wasn't in many ways a community. And the center of the community that brought everybody together was high school athletics. And if you went to a basketball game or football game or track meet, it wasn't just parents that showed up. I mean, the whole community showed up, which is a sign that this place had nothing else going on, right? This is a place that rolled up the streets at 10, I mean, or at 5, actually. Um, there was nothing going on, and so people would go to watch high school athletics. And so what made us a community is that we were all fans. What we shared in common is we were fans of the Mancus Blue Jays, right? Um, So what is it that the Israelites share in common? Well, going back uh, into the first part of the Ten Commandments in verse 2, God explains the first thing that, that they share in common. He says, I am the Lord your God, so they share him in common, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Essentially, What they share in common is that they all experience salvation by God's incredible grace. God saved them not because they deserved it, not because they were good people. Simply because God had compassion on them and in his grace, he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, out of their bondage and out of their oppression. And he brought them to himself. Secondly, in verse 5, he says, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's a a jealous God. He, he, He will not tolerate those who hate him. But those who love him... God will show faithful, steadfast love to you. Uh, so the second thing that, that they share in common is that they all love God. They're to be a people who share together a love for God. Where does this love come from? Well, it comes from the experience of God's gracious salvation and his 
steadfast love. The word steadfast love is a word that's used all through the Old Testament. And in many translations, it's it's, uh, translated as things like faithful love, unfailing love, steadfast love. It it really is covenant love. It's the word chesed. And it really means a love um, that is not just a generic love, but a, a love that's obligated to love based on either family relationship or because somebody's done something so extraordinary for you that you really owe it to them to be loyal and faithful and loving. Um, so it's the kind of love that a parent would have for a child, right? No matter how messed up and how, how badly the child behaves, the parent never says, well, I'm not going to love you if you're not going to straighten up, right? Now, I may discipline you, but I'm not going to stop loving you. My hesed love, my faithful, steadfast love is unchanging based on your behavior. So God says he gives that kind of unchanging, steadfast, faithful love to Israel. As they experience that, their response should be what? Nah, I don't really care about God. No, it should be to love him back in return. To love him because of his grace and his loving kindness to them. So he says, they, they, those who, this community is made up of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, Keeping my commandments simply means that because we have experienced his grace and we've been so uh, moved by his love for us and we love him, we then want to do what is pleasing to him. We we know how this works. If we are in a a very close friendship, uh, if we've fallen in love and we, we care deeply about our spouse or our children, we're not indifferent to their thoughts and wishes and desires. Right? We should want to do what pleases them, not because they make us, but because we want to show our love and affection for them. And that's how it should be with Israel. They should be a community who together longs to do what pleases God by obeying his commandments. God's telling them here, this is what would, would bring great delight and pleasure to me if you, if you carried out these values that I, I dearly cherish. Um, so, so that's what makes them a, a community. They share together uh, God's grace, God's salvation, their love for him, and their devotion to uh, please him through obedience. Uh, what is it that makes us, as God's people, a community? Well, it's really the exact same things, right? We are people who share together God's incredible saving grace through Jesus on the cross. That is what, by definition, makes us Christians. We put our faith in him. And so together we share that. Uh, we've experienced God's love, and as a result, we should, we should be seeking to love and honor him, to please him through obedience. Uh, and we're to do this in community as a group of people who have this kind of relationship together because it is one of our most powerful witnesses to the watching world. Uh, John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, By this it is evident who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the reverse of that is those who who live a right kind of life in a relationship with their brothers and sisters and who love them show the world who God is. So so the purpose of the Ten Commandments, the purpose of these laws and commands is for people who are living in community to build their community relationships on these foundation stones. Uh, So let's say that's true for Israel, and it's it's exactly true for us as the church. I think God would say, these are core values of who I am, and so it should be a core value of you as a community of believers who live life together in relationship as my children. So let's look at these. Uh, I'm going to kind of go through these quickly because there are six of them. (laughs) If I'd really planned ahead, I probably would have done three and three, but we're going to do all six. Uh, Some of them we know well. They're not new principles that we need to really uh, explain. But I just want you to see how the, the context of this is living this out in community covenant relationship with each other. First one, uh, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has, is giving you. Uh, the cultural value here is the value, the high value of family relationships. 
Okay, family relationships. And what's significant here uh, is that this, this is about community and not individuals. Right? Because the promise here is that you will live long in the land the Lord is, is giving you. That's not, that's not you singular. It's you plural. Right? It's, it's the promise to all of Israel that all of Israel as a nation would live long in the land if they uphold this value. Right? So that, that does not mean if somebody honors their parents with all their heart and soul and mind and die at 20 years old, God failed them. Because okay? it's not a promise to an individual. It's not about individuals. It's about a covenant community. It's about the success of Israel as a community in the land if they, as a community, value the the significant relationships of family. Um, And as I said, honor has the idea literally of something that has great weight. Okay, this does not mean feed your parents well to make them fat. Some of us don't actually need help with that. I'm I'm getting weighty enough all on my own. But the idea of of something weighty or something that has great significance and worth and value in the community. In other words, the most significant relationship, the most honored and noble relationship in our community should be the relationship of family and specifically that of parent to child and child to parent. Uh, This can be applied uh, both to small young children who are to respect their parents by doing what pleases them, right? by obedience. But it also applies to grown-ups who still are children and who still have parents, uh, who have uh, the responsibility of taking care of aging parents of, and of honoring them by living a life that, that brings joy and pleasure to them because we, we're honorable in the way we live our life. Um, this should sound very familiar, right? This should sound very much just like our relationship with God, right? God as a father loves us, and our response is to love and honor him back by doing what pleases him. You see, this is uh, God saying, look, one of the ways that you as a community will reflect who I am is by how you do family, because I am a God who is all about family relationship, the relationship of parent and child is, uh, is essential in the life of a community because it reflects our relationship with God. Um, God in his very character and nature is, is, is a father. Uh, the very first and most significant community in all of time and space was the community of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in a triune God. We sang it this morning, holy, holy, holy. Triune God who lives in community relationship within himself. He loves. And that that love is best described not as, you know, friends, not as business partners, not as fishing buddies, right? It's described as what? A father and a son. I don't know where the Holy Spirit's floating in there somewhere. I haven't figured that one out yet. But but I get the father-son thing. And so living out those relationships, being parents who live out this hesed love, this covenant love towards our children, and children who reciprocate with the same kind of love, right, reflects something of the Trinity in its existence. It's living out. Right? So what that means is that we, as, as, a, as a body of Christ, ought to place great value and priority on families. And you may be thinking, well, I'm single, right? Well, that's okay. Again, remember, this is about community. It's not about you personally. It doesn't mean that you can't honor God and glorify God because you're single or don't have children. Or maybe you are married, but you're not able to have children. Um, This is not about God's individual, private purpose and plan for individual people. It's about what we together as a group value and honor. So it doesn't matter if you're married or single or widowed or if you have children or don't have children. It's saying that as a community, we value families. We honor it. We we lift it up. So if if there's a mom who chooses to stay at home uh, instead of pursuing her career to take care of her small children, we don't as a community look down on that and say, well, that's just foolish. You know, you just look at all the money you could be making if you would go work. 
Right? You're wasting yourself on three-year-olds. You're so talented. Right? The church should never, we as a community should never say that. Right? Instead, we should applaud the mom who sacrifices, makes sacrifices personally so that she can be a mom. Right? We, should, we, should, we should value heroes not because they can carry a ball and stuff it through a hole. Right? We should honor and, 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 and call heroes dads who engage well with their kids, right? who, who, who model uh, God's value of being a, a father to his children. We should honor those who have, uh, through the years and through the decades and into their old age, have been faithful examples as parents. Does it mean we honor parents who are bad examples? No, right? No, we honor the value not only of parents, but of parenting. We, we honor what it means to be good parents who live out uh, these, these principles that God himself displays. Right? We should be families and we should honor families who live out something of the endless love of the triune God whose relationship is best described as father-son. Um, and we should show what an incredible honor it is for us to be his redeemed people as adopted sons and daughters into his family. Right, so we should value that. It should be a, a foundation stone of our community. Second one, uh, you, shall not, you shall not murder or do not murder. Um, the old translation, the King James, they're trying to keep the King James thing going here, here thou, thou wilt not murder meaning like, okay, I, I will not murder. Uh, it's actually stronger than that. It's no, do not murder, right? Do not murder, ever, ever. Uh, the word uh, relates specifically to uh, intentionally taking the life of an innocent person. It doesn't relate to killing in war. And uh, in, in other places, God commands Israel to wipe out entire people groups, right? So it's not about that. It, God in the Old Testament also upholds capital punishment. It's not about the community uh, executing justice on a criminal. Um, and whatever we want to think about in the New Testament, that's not what it meant here. Right? What here it, it's specifically related to uh, to murder, to taking somebody the life of an innocent person. Uh, and it applies not only to premeditated intentional murder but also to involuntarily causing someone's death through carelessness or negligence, right? So if you, uh, you, know, you, you do something foolish, you're not careful, and as a result, if you're driving too fast, and as a result, you take somebody's life, okay, that falls under this category. It's, it's do not kill. Do not, do not do something that carelessly or intentionally causes someone else's death. Now, to understand a lot of these principles, we need to understand that uh, you know, they're negatives, uh, but the, it, it's a principle of stating something in the negative to affirm its opposite. Right? So the, the point is not, the emphasis is not so much the value is not murder. The, the value is its opposite. So, for example, the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods besides me. Okay, what's, what's that really emphasizing? It's saying, don't worship any gods. And if you don't worship me as Jehovah, that's okay as well, just as long as you don't worship other gods. Is that what he's saying? Well, of course not, right? He's saying, no, don't worship other gods besides me, but worship me. And I should be, you should worship God, the true and living God, the one God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But that's the value. So as we look at these negatives, we need to uh, find the opposite that it's, that it's seeking to affirm. Um, so what does that mean? Well, murder is the extreme opposite of what it means to be in community with someone. Right? Okay, being in community is like being in relationship. Murdering them is kind of ending the relationship, finally and permanently. Right. So, um, so this is the positive value. It is to so value life, uh, to value each other, that you strive to care for and protect each other as a treasured part of the community. Do not murder means you value life. Uh, you value each other's lives and you, you treasure it, you care for it, right? So you're not even negligent. I mean, you, you're careful that you don't even do something accidentally that would bring harm and death to a brother or sister. 
Certainly God values us. God values all human humanity. He, he values human beings that he created in his image. Um, now, he will judge people, but as we'll see, he judges with justice and fairness. But he still values human life. So much so that Romans 8.31 says, or 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Uh, why? So that he might redeem us and save us. Right? God, God didn't even spare his own son to save and redeem our life. So precious is our life to him. Um, so likewise, we are to value each other. We are to make great sacrifices to love and care for each other. That's really what's implied by do not murder. Right? So this way, this has to go way beyond just a moral code. Right? It's, a, it's a principle upon which you build community. And the building block of community here is that you care for each other. And that means all those who are in this covenant community together. Right? Obviously, the ones who live close to you, you have a greater obligation and duty to love than those who live around the world. But somehow, we are connected globally with the body of Christ. right? And we have responsibilities to each other to value life. Uh, and, of course, not only in the community, but even outside as people are created in God's image. So, you know, it's things like... Um, uh, protecting the unborn and all, all of those issues. There's lots of ways to apply this, right? We don't have time today, but it means to value life. Um, third one, the building block of covenant faithfulness. The command, you shall not commit adultery. Again, it's a, it's a negative command, so what is it talking about? And of course, sexual purity and, and moral purity is of great value for anybody who's a believer, Right? Uh, this is not to say that we should not all pursue individually and privately the highest moral integrity and sexual purity. But that's not the concern here. Right? That's not the building block or value of community that he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is uh, uh, affirming the, the opposite of, of, of adultery as upholding marriage as the most important covenant relationship in the community. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's affirming covenant faithfulness. Marriage is to be protected and honored through covenant faithfulness. Um, and, and marriage is a covenant relationship, right? We come and you get all these things. I take you. We make vows, right? What is it about? It's a covenant pledge and promise. Or we enter into this relationship with covenant weight and authority. And we are to remain true to that covenant relationship and that we give our most intimate and personal love only to our spouse. Right? Sexual intimacy in a marriage is, is to be between the husband and wife only. And to go outside of that relationship is to break your faithfulness to the covenant relationship. It's to betray that love. It's to betray that agreement and that covenant. Um, it is essentially to, to betray the chesed love, the steadfast love of covenant loyalty. Um, and so marriage is an incredible picture of God's covenant love with us. In verse 6, let me read it again. It says, uh, uh, well, I won't read it, but God says in verse 6 that, that he, he's a jealous God. He's a jealous God, that he, he gives us his covenant love based on his commitment to us. And he expects us as his covenant people to be faithful to that. So that's why in the, the second command, he says, do not worship idols. Do not give your love to someone else. And in verse 5, he says, do not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that mean? It means that God will not share our love with any other and that's what marriage and the covenant marriage of covenant faithfulness, sexual faithfulness in marriage represents. Right? We do not share that, that specific love with anyone else. Right? It's a model. It's a picture of God's covenant faithfulness toward us and our faithfulness to him. 
That is why throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes idolatry is called adultery, right? Because they are betraying their covenant love uh, with God. Um, So certainly we should be a church and a body that upholds all kinds of moral purity. But especially we should have marriages that are thriving and healthy and loving. Right? And where we are faithful, where we, we demonstrate clearly the faithfulness of that love through a lifetime. And uh, without getting into divorce, but that's, that's one of the, the arguments against divorce, right? When you get divorced, you are breaking covenant faithfulness. And that's why Jesus even says in the New Testament, even in divorce, if you have sexual relationships with somebody else, if you marry them even, you commit adultery. He says it's adultery, right? And I want to go into all the new covenant applications of it. But I'm just saying here, the principle is we should be a community that upholds faithful marriages. We should be celebrating those people who have been married 50 years, 60 years. Anybody here been married 50 years? Anybody? Wow, nobody. How about 40? Kathy, let's give them a hand. Honor them. How, I won't ask you how long till 50. I won't, I won't do that. Uh, next one. Uh, next core value. You shall not steal. Uh, again, it's a negative command. We want to look at the positive implication, which can go way beyond just simply not stealing. And, and basically, uh, I boiled it down to uh, productive labor, productive industrious labor. Um, it, 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 the command actually implies, implies a couple important things. First is the right to own personal property. Uh, you can't steal in a, in a culture or in a civilization where there's no such thing as private ownership. Uh, when I lived in Colorado, some of the uh, Native Americans on the reservation did not believe anything could be privately owned. And therefore, it was impossible to steal anything there. You could go into anybody's house and take anything you wanted because, in theory, it all belonged to everybody. And they did. (laughs) They actually did. Uh, And it was just kind of how they lived life, right? Well, this was not to be the way it worked with Israel. Covenant community does not necessarily mean what we might think of as communal living, where you just share everything together. Um, In fact... God's promise is that he would bring them into the land of promise and that once there, every Israelite would become a landowner. And this is huge and significant, especially for a people who have lived their lives as slaves. God says, every single one of you is going to be a landowner. And the way all the laws of the land we'll see later on play out is that that, that private ownership of property could never be permanently taken away. Well, why is that important? Well, uh, God, God is not giving them a community that's based on communism, right, where everybody just owns everything together. Um, and, and history has, has shown that this does not work. In a situation where no one owns anything because everyone owns everything, nobody takes care of anything. Right? And some of you who have lived in communist countries have seen this, Right? Nobody cares about it because, well, it belongs to everybody, but it's not mine, so it's not my problem. Right? It doesn't work. Okay, private ownership, uh, ownership of private property is, is really vital for life to work. It also means it's not feudalism, where the king or the noble families own all the land and everybody else are peasants and serfs who work for the nobles. It wasn't to be that way. Everybody was a landowner. Everybody was to work for their own work on and for themselves. Second principle here is that uh, essentially you reap what you sow. Okay, so you own, you own property. It's a great privilege and a wonderful gift. But with that privilege comes a responsibility. Okay, it's yours, but it's yours to take care of, which means you have to develop the land and work it and, and expand it and, and make good use of it so that... Uh, you will reap what you sow. Right? So that you work hard, but, but as a result of your hard work, you will get the benefit of income and, 
it will, it will prosper you. So all that to say, the principle here is uh, God's saying, you know, work hard. You should be involved, a community that is work, involved in productive, industrious labor. Okay, we are not, uh, we're not to be a community that, you know, chills on the beach all the time. We're not Bahamians. We're not beach bums. We're not surfer dudes, right? Um, unless you're a surfer dude who's figured out how to make good money at it and who works hard at it, then go for it. Um, it should be a community that values work and that uh, holds people responsible to reap what they sow. Right? So if you're, it says in the New Testament, let him who does not work not eat. Right? Uh, we don't, we, we're, we're, and we'll see, we're, we're to have love and charity for those who fall on hard times. But if people are lazy and they won't work and they're not going to do anything, we're not to be enabling them by giving them stuff. Interesting. Okay, interesting. I won't go to all the political ramifications of that. You can work that out over lunch. Um, uh, as a church, we're to be that kind of community, right? We value hard work. We applaud and uphold those who, who work hard and diligently and prosper as a result of their work. Now, again, this is community, not private. And it doesn't mean that for some individuals they work very hard and they labor and disaster comes upon them. Maybe they are born blind, so they can't work hard. Maybe they are crippled in an accident, so they cannot work. Maybe a flood wipes out their crops, so they lose all, the, all their labor. All right? uh, doesn't mean we don't take care of them. In fact, it means you go back to the previous rule, do not murder. And the value there is what? Value life. Take care of each other. Right? If somebody's fallen on hard times, we have a responsibility to share out of our own prosperity because we've worked hard to help them, not forever, but to get back on their feet. Right? Um, so here's a question. Many of us here are missionaries. Many of us raise support. Is support raising a form of stealing? Because <laughs> right? you're not working for your wages at some level. Right? You don't own land. You don't own a business that actually generates income. And so we come here and we're in places where we're serving, but we're not actually reaping direct financial benefit from serving. So we ask people somewhere else to give us money. Is that stealing? Well, of course not. Right? Uh, all the Israelites got land except for who? The Levites. Right? The Levites and the priests. And they were to be supported by the rest of the community so that they could focus their full-time attention on serving God. Right? And, and the New Testament affirms that. Uh, Paul says that those who devote themselves to full-time service, to full-time ministry, should be supported by the community. Right? So what we, what we say is that it's, not, it's not communing, it's not stealing. In fact, it's the duty of the, of the church as a whole to support those of us who have committed our life to full-time service. Of course, the principle is still true, though. For us, we should be people who work hard at our task. Right? And uh, I, think, I think there are some people who are going to have to give an account for their lack of hard work. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a temptation, it's a danger, because we don't get paid directly for our labor. Right? All, you have to do, all you have to do is be good at writing prayer letters you don't actually have to do anything, right? You just have to know how to come up with good pictures and people will give you money or the right cause. But that leads us to the next one. <laughs> that leads us to the next law. Um, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, again, this is directly related to giving false evidence or testimony in court or in a, in a dispute. It's not about lying in general. It's about your testimony or your witness, both towards others and towards yourself. You're to be truthful. And the principle here is that the community is to be one that upholds justice and fairness in its legal system. Right? People are, be, are, are to have a fair and just hearing before a judge or before the elders. Um, and certainly this is God's character. He's absolutely fair and just in all his dealings. Uh, God... God never deals falsely or wrongly with anybody. His justice is perfect. Everybody will get exactly what they deserve. 
right? No one will ever be treated unfairly by God, ever. God's perfectly just. And he expects his community to, to, to be the same. Uh, this applies to the living room and the coffee shop as much as, as it does the courtroom. Right? As we talk about people, do we give a, a truthful testimony about them? Right? And this can go two ways. One, people that we really are mad with and they made us, they, they we're frustrated with them. And so we, we twist our testimony a little bit to make them look bad. Right? Or, you know, in our prayer letters, we, we twist the truth just a little bit to make ourselves look good, look better, to embellish our accomplishments, accomplishments more than is true. But that's what that relates to. Last one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servants, his female servants, his ox, his donkey, his Toyota, his Lexus, right, his vacation house at the beach, or anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is simply desiring something that does not belong to you. It's a long after desire to want something that is not already yours. Um, and what that means is that we're not only not to steal or murder or commit adultery, but we're not even to inwardly desire those things. Okay, and this is another reason this is not just a moral code. And, and, and this is where the, the Jews and Jesus, they got themselves in tons of trouble, right? Over and over they would say, I keep the law perfectly. But when Jesus would say, yeah, but do you keep it in your heart? Do you lust after other women? Do you covet wealth and, and greed and material things, right? Uh, they, they could not, they, they did not keep the law. And essentially the, the value here is, is the value of authentic community, uh, right? We, we, are, we are to be a people who not only do the right things outwardly, but we have a heart that matches, right? So that what we are on the inside matches our outward behavior on the outside, um, all of these core values only work if people really hold them as values in their heart. These can't just be outward things we do to look good and appear good outwardly only. Right? We can't just not commit adultery with our wife and have covenant faithfulness but not really love her in our heart. Right? It must go deep into our very heart. We must be genuinely people who genuinely live out these principles from our heart uh, to be as authentic as God himself is, who is absolutely never false or ingenuine in anything. Right, so does this mean that if in our heart we, we, we genuinely and authentically lust after a woman, that to be true and authentic we should just go for it? No, of course not. Right? It means, though, that we need to transform our heart. And how do we do that? There's only one way. It's through the powerful work of the cross doing its thing in our life as we are crucified with Christ and as we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Uh, let me close quickly with two ways to apply this. Um, you know, the temptation has been for way too long to make the Ten Commandments some kind of universal moral code that we apply to all people everywhere. That is not its purpose. Um, and it's important to remember the principle of the right tool for the right job. Okay, I like fixing stuff. I like building stuff. And this is kind of a sensitive issue for me. Nothing drives me crazier than somebody using a screwdriver to, like, you know, do what a hammer should do. Uh, it's like the guy who wants to take a sledgehammer to adjust a pocket watch. Right? Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do serious damage to the watch. Or likewise, somebody taking a surgeon's scalpel and using it to chisel stone. Okay, it's going to damage the tool. You've got to pick the right tool for the right job. Uh, the church has spent too much time waging war with the world, demanding that they subscribe to our morals and ethics. And I'm telling you, doing that is like trying to fix society with a moral sledgehammer. It doesn't work. Right? That is not our task and our role, and it's not the purpose of the law. Um, 
And the reality is that many people in the world, many ungodly people are actually very moral people outwardly. A lot of Buddhists are very moral people. Their problem is not their morality. Their problem is that they hate God. <laughs> that's the issue. Uh, that's what God says in, in, in verse 5. He says, don't bow down to idols. He says, I'm a, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity on the fathers of children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's the issue. The world, it doesn't matter if they're moral or immoral. They do not love God. And that's their problem. And we cannot fix that by beating on them with a moral hammer. Right? So, so waging wars against same-sex marriages and, and all this stuff that we want to legislate on general humanity is a total waste of time. And God never calls us that. Now, should society have moral values? Yes, right? But I don't think that's the job of the church. Um, because what we can end up with is, is a society that is super moral and still hates God. Instead, what are we to do? Well, it says we're, we're to use a different kind of tool. Or we're to use the tool to a different end. And the end is to build Christ-honoring community that is compelling. Right? We're to be a group of people who have the kind of relationships that are compelling to the world around us. Where they are drawn to God and to Christ because of the way we live life. Right? The tool is to be applied to the community of the church so that we live out these principles and values uh, in every part of life. And it shows the world something who God is, and it should be attractive to them. When their lives are, are falling apart, and they are depressed and sad, and their marriages are collapsing, and their children are a mess, and they see in our lives something very different. And they are drawn to our community, and, and as they are drawn to our community, they will have the opportunity to encounter Christ who's the only one that can save them and change their hearts from those that hate God to those that love him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.